Hello and welcome to Movie Nosh with Mike and Josh, where each week we sink our teeth into a different movie feast. Today's movie feast is a special Blade Runner episode. Very special one, isn't it? Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> so delicious. Um, yeah, we uh, we watched the original Blade Runner, the final... Which version did you watch, actually? Final Cut. Final Cut, yeah. And then we went last night to go watch Blade Runner 2049 in Super Screen. Yes. Sound so loud that I think I might actually be infertile now. Yeah, there was bass in our chair. Should we start? Yeah, cue theme music. Um, yeah, so I've been looking forward to this for ages. I know we've both been super looking forward to the film. Like, excited children waiting for Christmas. It's probably the most excited I've been since The Force Awakens, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think I've been more excited about this than I have been about Episode 8. Because I'm very apprehensive about Episode 8. Anyway, I don't want to talk about other <laughs> films too much, because we always do that. Um, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's hard. I've been dreading this episode in a way, because... I know there's so much to talk about that we could run on for like two or three hours. So we're going to have to restrict ourselves, give it some kind of structure. And hopefully you guys can enjoy a partly spoiler-free version of this. And then later on we're going to try and go into some more spoilerific details. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think because this comes out on Monday, a lot of you won't have watched the film yet. Yeah. Um... So we'll give you a warner. Warner? <laughs> a warning before the spoiler we'll just say a warner that makes sense yeah. doesn't it warner, a warner. Um, so uh, at that point we would recommend that you skip forward we'll let you know what time to skip forward to because we've still got the game at the end of this episode but because we're focusing on Blade Runner this week we're not going to be doing any movie news we're just going to go right in and give you all the good stuff however there will be spoilers for the first Blade Runner because it's been out since 1982 so if you've not watched it by now then it's your own fault and you should really watch it because it's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and by the way, at the end of the sixth sense, Bruce Willis is a ghost. So <laughs> fuck everybody, really. <laughs> He's dead. Um, yeah. So Blade Runner, the first film. Premise. Okay, so I wrote down the synopsis just to make this easy. Did you? Yes. So this is all your own original work. Well, it's kind of a mishmash of IMDb and Wikipedia. Have you credited your references? Have you I, I just have your. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to use, you know. So, the synopsis for the first Blade Runner, the film from 1982, starring uh, Harrison Ford and several other people, is... <laughs> I mean, there's loads of... I don't want to take up too much time. Excellent. So, um, set in a dystopian Los Angeles in 2019, only two years from now, the story depicts a future in which synthetic humans, known as replicants, are bioengineered by the powerful Tyrell Corporation to work on off-world colonies. When a fugitive group of replicants led by Roy Batty, fantastic name by the way, yeah. played by uh, Rutger Hauer, escaped back to Earth, burnt out LA cop Rick Deckard, played by Harrison Ford. Oh shit. Ford. Harrison Ford, played by Harrison Ford, reluctantly accepts one last assignment to hunt them down. Deckard is what's known as a Blade Runner, which is basically like a detective or a police person or, you know, some type of law enforcement, but they're main task is finding rogue replicants and air quotes retiring them cool which is way. just another word for killing them it's a cool way to describe 
getting something, isn't it? A cruel way, yeah, yeah. Um, cool, cool. Oh, cool way. Well, it's nothing, cruel as well. There's nothing cruel about retirement. I can't because it's cruel, that's it. what kind of makes it cool. We'll, we'll discuss these themes. Okay. Um, along the way, Deckard meets Rachel, a new model of replicant. So advanced, even she doesn't know she's a replicant. Can't be that advanced, then. No. And good times were had by all. That's how the film ends, basically. Yeah, yeah. Very happy ending, the <laughs> first one. Um, there's, there's tons of themes in, the, in these, this movie. And what I love about the new one is that the themes are so... Prevalent. Yes, prevalent. Yeah. We're having more discussions about how you say words now, aren't we? Um, so the, the first film when it came out actually wasn't a massive success because it was plagued by um, loads of problems during shooting. Basically, it was directed by Ridley Scott, the first one. Ridley Scott, the man who has directed so many fantastic films that I've run out of paper writing them down. <laughs> he did The Martian. He's done Alien, Alien Covenant, although I've not seen that. Black Hawk Down, I didn't realise he'd done. Gladiator. Yeah. It's just like, I, I, he's not even like a master of just science fiction. He's done everything. Yes. But apparently he's a bit perfectionist, especially on this particular film, to the point where when they made the first Blade Runner film, two weeks into production, they were two weeks behind. <laughs> <laughs> because they, the first scene that they filmed was actually the one in um, when they go to see Tyrell. Yes. Um, I think it's the one with Harrison Ford and he meets Rachel. Um, and... Uh, apparently the set design the columns were built upside down or something like that so they had to change all that around and then uh, they filmed it all and Ridley Scott wasn't happy with the lighting so it took him two weeks because they had to reshoot it all and so that pissed off all the camera crews production Harrison Ford was like this is just super grueling so he fell out with Ridley Scott for a while over this film um, but yeah the, so what happened ended up being because they were over schedule and because they um, were definitely over budget as well the producers stepped in and temporarily sacked Ridley Scott and uh, another fellow who can't remember what he did or what his name was um, and then ended up taking over it and trying to edit themselves and all that kind of stuff and it just went horribly wrong because the first version of this film that came out didn't do fantastically well and changed some of the themes and some of the storylines quite a lot to the point where they actually released not just a director's cut of this film but then also a final cut yeah, which is the one that I'm most familiar with. Yeah, the without one that I watched the, recently, without the narration, because mm. the theatrical release, there's it's got uh, Deckard um, narrating over the yeah over the film as because it's, it's kind of a film noir, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I think it was advertised as an action film, much like the the new one is actually. Yeah, and, um, and, it's, and it's really not, it's not at all. I mean, obviously there's some action in it, but it's not like car chases, really, no, is it? No, it's a lot more um, contemplative. Well, some of the feedback from when the first film came out is that audiences struggled with it because they found it a bit confusing, which is one of the reasons they added that um, voiceover narration in there, ah. which Harrison Ford said was written by idiots. <laughs> yeah, if you've listened to it, it, it he's got no enthusiasm um, in delivering it. Mm. And I think I read somewhere that he didn't think that was going to be used and oh. so when he's reading it he's reading it not as if not given an effort yeah he's, he's reading it thinking this is silly why am I doing this yeah. and they actually use that in the in the final well the, the theatrical release um, I, I've not listened I've not watched the, the theatrical release in a long time no but I remember thinking he's got a very uh, monosyllabic voice yeah my uh, name is Joker yeah and you can I kind of tell Blade Runner. Uh, I've not actually heard that one disinterested. I, I don't think I've seen that version of Blade Runner um, I didn't watch it as a fan you should probably watch it yeah, I probably will. Um, uh, the, the other thing as well is like audiences found the film 
quite hard because it, it's not only the pace but the type of storyline was very different to the typical kind of movies that you see in 1982 um, and on top of that when the film came out it was at the same time around that E.T. came out as well um, yeah. which is like one of the highest grossing <coughs> movies of all time so that and, and um, The Thing I was going to have to say this yeah. oh, 1982 sounds like a fantastic year for movies for movies yeah thing. didn't Ferris Bueller come out sometime then oh, I don't know maybe not just... maybe not as early as so they, they both those films struggled because of E.T. Um, and obviously it, it, it's because it's a slower pace because you have to have patience with it because the themes are so intelligent and thought-provoking you couldn't deliver this in a sort of standard Hollywood way of fast-paced action quick cut scenes it does need the time to really sink in and make you think and take time with the characters and the conversation Yeah, and, and audiences struggled with it I love that it um, I think it treats the audience as intelligent yeah um, I mean I've, I've, I've only ever watched the final cut recently um, so I don't know how it would have been seen at the time but um, there's no there's no pointless exposition in this in the first one it um, it took me a while it took me a few um, watches to actually think that I actually understood it and got it and got yeah. the themes that they were trying to uh, evoke um, the old idea that um, being more human than human what makes a human um, is is the fact that they're that they don't have a soul? Does that mean that they're not human? Is it the fact that they? What is a soul? Is, is a soul, soul real? real? Yeah. Um, and all all of the themes running through it, this theme of morality and um, hu- human beings treating people as second class citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, slavery is a, slavery. a huge theme in this because the replicants. And I think me and you kind of disagreed slightly on what a replicant actually is. Actually, so. I guess it is the same thing but maybe we just describe it in different ways because the word android is used and I think that's the wrong kind of word to use for it I think they're androids yeah because to me an android sort of denotes the idea of like maybe human skin and like robotic underneath a bit like Terminator yeah, yeah, yeah. or is that more of a cyborg Ooh. maybe that's it I don't know they're all made words up around. words aren't they anyway so um, I think do all words are made up words <laughs> if we're going to get real deep in this podcast yeah but um, to me it's it's more like um, so they're, they're bioengineered bioengineered humans they're grown for a purpose uh, and one of the things one of the themes of the first one you know about slavery and, and goes hand in hand with slavery is freedom and that's something else that is explored in a slightly different way in the new film but for them, the replicants in the original film only have a lifespan of four years. So to them, freedom is being able to escape that four-year um, boundary. Yeah, restriction. And that's why they go, when the replicants land on the planet, they go to hunt for Tyrell, their creator, to see if they, the life can be expanded. And um, when, when they find out that it can't be, they actually kill him. There's a moment in that film, actually, apparently, where um, Roy Batty... Um, calls Tyrell father but they made him specific mum- specifically mumble it so it sounds like fucker and apparently when it's shown on TV it always says father but in movies it sounds more like fucker I don't quite know how they Ooh, changed that that's but, a very impressive fact yeah I know it's, it's a weird one and it's again this uh, this whole theme of ambiguity and, and not knowing exactly the right answer to something is just completely strewn throughout absolutely right the old film and the new film yeah where and that's kind of what fans love about this kind of movie it just creates conversation doesn't it you come out of the cinema and you start I mean yesterday we came out and we had a bit of a discussion about it and we were a bit at odds a bit didn't really know what to think yeah and the first few times I watched this film it took me a long while to 
to get it because it does open a conversation and because we didn't watch it the first film when it first came out we've got 30 years worth of of internet gossip and chat and blogs and articles mm. to tell us how to think um and that and, and in 1982 you wouldn't have had that um and so it would have been an exciting conversation to have with whoever you'd watched it with or um and and just to come up with your own ideas for yourself so i do i do feel like i've missed out a little bit because my uh my ideas on what the film is about have been presented to me already yeah um but i can agree with them i can see them now i think i watched it once looked it up um hey this was years ago um do you remember the first time you watched it i can and i think it was with my brother mm. but I remember being a bit too young not really understanding what was going on yeah. I was like 26 27 at the time oh really so, um, <laughs> but I didn't completely really, believed you I didn't really understand um, and I had to watch it back um, after actually taking an active interest in it I think it was just a DVD that my brother was like you've got to watch this yeah. put it on and I was a bit like leave me alone like playing. he did with all the horror films yeah, that he yeah, scoured yeah. you with um, and I was like leave me alone I'm playing Tetris but not as camp as that um, and so I had to watch it back I watched it back late teens maybe mm. um, and completely identified with all the themes that are presented to me in, in these opinions that people blast in your face can't stand mm. it why don't they just make a podcast like everyone else <laughs> uh, and I drew on those and then and expanded on them and you can really see once you've got like, an idea in your head what the film's about you realise that it is actually fucking genius yeah, yeah. it really is and the world that it creates this LA in 2019 is I mean for 1982 I can't think of any films around then that created such a believable such a deep uh, comprehensive um, representation of, of a world I mean all the way down to the technology that's being used the clothing the the atmosphere of LA this, this dystopian uh, city they called it um, a retrofitted future so it's almost like yeah. they just tapped on all the things that they added into the future onto all the old structures um, and, and I love the the world that they created for this movie where it's it's the future but everything's gone to shit because we're humans and more than likely everything is going to go to shit because we're just going to ruin ourselves and again that's also interweaves with the theme of like what it is to be human uh, yeah and to be a fucker and I think one of the themes that comes up on quite a lot is empathy yeah because odds what they do a test to figure out whether or not someone is a replicant or not Voigt Kampf the Voigt yeah some Kampf or Kampf test Voigt Kampf anyway it's a test and it's VK. basically VK the VK test I like that yeah you just get them to do loads of Drinks of blue alcohol and see how you can <laughs> stropedo. Oh. If you can stropedo five in a row, you're human. <laughs> Actually, no, you're an animal. That's what you're, you are. You're, yeah, you need to be put down. Um, so this test that they do, they ask someone a series of questions and it's just to see, you know, if it invokes empathy in any way. So they ask questions about, you know, does a turtle walk it towards you in desert and it, it, it's, it falls onto its back? Do you help it? And a human would apparently be like, yeah, I'd help the turtle because humans are more empathetic. But actually, in the film, if you watch it, most of the humans actually lack empathy. Like, yeah. Deckard completely lacks empathy, really, when he's killing replicants. Whereas, actually, the replicants themselves have empathy towards each other and care when, yeah, when one their, dies. their family, in a way, dies. Yeah. Um, That's a good observation. Yeah, well, you know, IMDb's full of really good useful <laughs> things. Just, uh, I'm not going to sit here and go... I'm so deep <laughs> I figured this out for myself <laughs> I try every time we watch a film I look out for these things but I feel like I have to just 
browse the web to figure them out. No one there. I can't. I've, I've not had an original opinion since <laughs> the invention of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, that's such a that's a good point, um, and it is that's that whole conversation that the film has throughout um, as what is a human? Why um, are the replicants seen as as subhuman? Yeah, they call um, them skin jobs, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And at the end of the film, you, you see that um, um, Roy Batty. Um, is probably the most human in the whole film. Yeah, because at the end he actually he saves Deckard. He saves Deckard. And yeah. that's him sort of becoming more human than human, which is one of the, the phrases that they use is at the end of the day, he has empathy for Deckard and saves his life even though he doesn't have to. Yeah, well he's you know, he's been chasing he's been chasing this ability to live throughout the whole movie. Um and then when he knows that his time is up, I think he just realises how valuable life is. Mm. And but also how kind of meaningless it is as well because he has his famous line which didn't Rutger Hauer come up with that line yeah tears yeah, yeah I think all these moments it. lost like tears in the rain basically you know like he's had this life but um, it doesn't matter it, it, it doesn't matter it's going to disappear matters. and yeah. that's dealing with one's existence and what your life means is part of humanity and I think when you're faced with your own mortality I would be very surprised if at the age of 200 when I die I'll look back and think uh, I always think what would I do in my final moments I'd be like oh shit I don't want to waste it uh, 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 make a fart joke I don't know. It's like, how would you want your last moments spent it's such a I don't know it's the weird sort of moments you ponder about when you're lying in bed at 2am trying to think yeah, I need yeah. to get to sleep tomorrow but <laughs> so I just can't get rid of this erection <laughs> um, no I think when faced with your own mortality you probably do look back and think none of this really matters I'm still shriveled up and I've just decided moment before I die I'm going to say all of these moments lost like tears in rain you'll probably mess it up though and be like no no and you'll be there and you'll be like crying because I'm dying but also smiling because you're like that's fucking cool <laughs> yeah I'll record it on my uh, on my uh, Galaxy 85 <laughs> <laughs> um, so the original film has some uh, pretty it's not got any stand-up performances. I mean, everybody nails their roles, really, but it's not as if somebody's still... I mean... I, I think the stand-out ones for me are Rutger Hauer and Harrison Ford. Yes. And even they stand up Sean Young as, as Rachel, she didn't get anywhere near as much screen time. Wow. Daryl Hannah was fantastic. See, I'm just going back on what I've just said. No, you're going back on what I said, and that's fine. We're allowed to disagree. Yeah, with um, ourselves. <laughs> yeah. But they're so, they're so synonymous now with what you think of, of sci-fi. Yeah. Harrison Ford is now... I mean, he was he was just. I think this came out just before Return of the Jedi came out. Yeah, he's now seventy-five. Whoa. I know. He's yeah. old. He's got a bit of a a podge. Yeah. I mean, he's he's 75. at one point he was Jesus. the richest male actor alive. I, I think the 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 fantastic things about this movie and the original one is not just the themes and the story and the way it was written and how they just took the time with it, but has absolutely fantastic visual effects yeah cinematography and music music by Vangelis 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 and he did Chariots of Fire oh did he oh yeah he did didn't he da, 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 da. yeah <clears throat> uh, yes and, and the, the the music and the score just perfectly uh, part of the, the cinematography the film the world that's created yeah um, it really just cements the fact that the film is genius yeah it's it's the perfect score for that first film really futuristic but really emotive as well um, 
there's, there's a weird story so like my dad was a gigantic fan of Blade Runner and that's where I know it from and um, he died three years ago three years ago next week actually and when I went to Paris not last no I think it was last year actually for my birthday went to Disneyland and they've got Universal Studios oh, next yeah, to it yeah. or something like that and this isn't even made by Universal Studios but on my birthday they were in Paris the love theme by Blade Runner played in the background on my birthday and I was like oh that's spooky that's spooky that's very spooky um, so yeah no, I, I, I love the soundtrack it means a lot to me I get a lot of nostalgia from it but um, as we'll talk about later on with the new film they, they pay tribute to that in a yeah, huge way yeah. very very impressive and then the, the graphics so when um, I watched the film again recently I watched it with my housemate and my girlfriend my girlfriend's quite picky about watching films that look old but not so, boys <laughs> <laughs> but like sorry futuristic films set in the future that look old so like you know Star Wars looks yeah. old but it's supposed to be set in a futuristic yeah, place because yeah. um, it, it removes you from it doesn't it you go oh this actually looks really old it doesn't feel like the future now right whereas okay. when she watched this she was like you know the scenes at the start which blew everybody's minds where they made all these tiny models with all these huge amounts of details yeah. just like in Star Wars yeah actually sort of feels way more impressive and has such a huge impact on you compared to modern day CGI absolutely that um it didn't bother her. She was like, "That's the the thing that bothered her was when he was doing the the machine that zooms in on the photograph. And it oh, looks like the world's first IBM computer yeah, or something yeah. like that." Doesn't it go around a corner as well as he's looking at it? It I, sort like, of goes around the doorway. Doesn't make any sense no, how it works, no, no. but um, it's the future, so who cares? But Two like, years from now, we'll all be able to do that. <clears throat> yeah, fucking hell. Yeah, um, I do like the uh, the technology in the first film. It all seems attainable. Yeah, and I imagine it was. I mean, apart from the flying cars, but uh, <laughs> made by Peugeot. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Um, but the first film, the world that it creates, is so comprehensive. I can't. I mean, this, this, it's just perfect. The cars, the, 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 even the guns are cool. Yeah, they're pretty powerful as well. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's quite scary looking to what our future could be if uh, if we don't fucking kill Elon Musk. <laughs> Surely he's the, so. You're saying Elon Musk is is um, Tyrrell. Tyrrell, yeah. Tyrrell. <laughs> I'm gonna spend the whole podcast mis- mispronouncing words on See purpose. If you get it. You yeah, bastard, I've been I'm doing just... it all, all, all podcast. <laughs> You've been doing it to wind me up, or have you been doing it to wind up listeners? Or... <sighs> bit of col- bit of both. Bit of column B. Bit of column uh, A. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's loads of interesting facts about the first film, though. So there's like the they made all the replicants eyes kind of have this weird shiny effect to him and I was like did they just use special contact lenses and then like a UV light or something but it, it makes them obvious that they're not completely human that they have little red bits isn't it it's, it's not even red it's like just a shiny silver ooh yeah am I colour blind yeah I think you are okay <laughs> although I don't know if you can be colour blind between red and white I don't think I don't know um, but apparently they used a process called the Schufdua I can't read my own handwriting. Shifter. Shifter. Well done. Well Shifter process. And they do it by... There's a... Mirrors. Sort of half mirror that's put at an angle, 45 degree angle to the camera, and they fire light at people's eyes and it comes back through that. How the fuck did they figure that out? I don't know. Some guy invented it, but it, it worked really well. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I didn't know that they did that. Um, also, do you know the, the, the scene where Zora has a snake? Yes. And he's like, is that a real snake? And... She's like, what do you think? <laughs> Would I be working here if it was a real snake? Yes. Yeah, Not that she sounds like that at all. Well, but um, 
I, when I watched that back recently, I was like, bloody hell, she, she's very comfortable with that snake. And she like tickles it in the neck and stuff. I was like, I would never yeah, put my hand anywhere yeah. near a snake's head. And um, it turns out it's because it was her pet snake. Ah. That's why she was so comfortable with it. She's a, she's, yeah, so she's the first replicant that he kills by oh, pretending yeah. to be a union leader. It's quite I'm from the union. Yeah, it's quite funny, actually. I love, uh, I actually love his impressions. Actually. Harrison Ford's acting range is either Harrison Ford or Nerdy Guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he does it in, um, oh shit, what's it called? Uh, Last Crusade, no, Last Crusade. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Sean Connery, Indiana Jones, and Last Crusade. Last Crusade, yeah. Um, there was also a thing about, you know, in this dystopian future, corporations are still gigantic. Ooh, and there's, there's loads of themes of religion so like the Tyrell Corporation headquarters is shaped like a pyramid yes it's almost like the place of worship because of the amount of power they've got yeah, yeah. but then you've got all these companies flashing their logos in, in big bright lights like Atari yes. Coca-Cola Pan Am all these places do you notice they kept the same companies they kept Pan Am I saw Pan yeah. Am even though it's not been around for yonks well that's the Atari. thing I was just about to say is that actually there was a, a sort of joke about the curse of Blade Runner where all these companies yeah, that featured it actually true, ended yeah. up going under so Atari went under they've been bought out and the name's been used now. Pan Am went under. Something to do with a terrorist event on one of the planes. Yes. And even Coca-Cola, obviously we can never imagine them going under, but had a really bad couple of years after that because they introduced new Coke. God. So even Coca-Cola suffered because of Blade Runner. Brilliant. <laughs> it's weird. But yeah, this this is one of the reasons why this film is such a cult hit is because there's all these super tiny little details which is so great to discuss and talk about and people get proper hard-ums over. It seems to be cult followings with sci-fi films. I don't know what it is, but... You'd never because nerds that's why fucking love it don't we nerd nerd because I was all over the place yeah um, you mean a nerd <laughs> <laughs> um, but the first one uh, I just think it's the complete in terms of creating a, a world that's believable mm. I think it's perfect like I said Ridley Scott was such a perfectionist that um, he apparently there was like even when you saw a bus go past, there'd be a sign on the bus that says, warning, driver has a gun. And you'll never wow. see it in the film, yeah. but they put all that kind of detail in there because that's what it was like. And they, the original cut of this was four hours long. The first film. Not the, not the, the one that was released. No, his, like, his, no not actual cut, but his one would have been... Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, and he's, he's, you know, he's guilty of that in Alien as well. Alien, mm. the world that he creates in Alien is just... I mean, it's so believable. Um, I, I think we could talk about the original forever, and there's enough for anybody to go out and explore but it was probably a good time to start talking about the new one Ooh. and getting stuck in um, so hopefully you've enjoyed things so far we're going to go into the first part of our review on the new Blade Runner 2049 film now um, and this part will be spoiler free as much as possible we'll, we'll discuss things in a vague way vague enough to allude to talk about relations to the first film but we're not going to give, anyway, uh, give away any of the major plot lines or the title or the title of Blade Runner 2049. Oh, you fucking ruined it. No! Did you hear how... I don't know why I just touched you then. Did you hear Australian I just sounded? You fucking ruined it. <laughs> I think when we listen back, you won't sound as Australian as we'll, you think we'll, you did. We'll cut it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll warn you when the spoilerific bits come up because I know people who have seen this film will want to listen about it. Listen about to, it? To, to us talk about it and discuss it in detail because that's what fans of Blade Runner really like doing is just chat shit about it. <laughs>
So, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Um, do you want to do a synopsis? Who's in it first? Tell me who's in it. Oh, in it? Okay, there's a massive list. I'm going to give you everybody. You... Everyone? Yeah, I've written them down. Everyone! Everybody! Um, first of all, director, Denis Villeneuve. How do you say it? Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Why are you so piss. easily able to say it? Villeneuve. Villeneuve. And I can't... It's just because it's French, isn't it? Denis Villeneuve. Um, who also directed Arrival and Sicario, Sicario, and Prisoner. Yeah, Prisoners. Yeah. Prisoners. Prisoners. Yeah. The only one I've not seen is Sicario, but the other two films I love. But I've heard very good things about Sicario. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. He was the director and also a massive Blade Runner nerd. Yeah. So has seems to be the perfect person for this film. Well, apparently so. Yeah. Um, then there's Ryan Gosling as Agent K. Not yeah. many black Agent K. Who's Colin K? Yeah. Um, who's the main protagonist? His lady love called Joy, played by Anna de Armas. Um, Lieutenant Joshi? I think so, yeah. Great name. Joshi or J- Yoshi? I'm not sure. It might be a soft J, like yogging. <laughs> <laughs> it's a line from Anchorman. Um, played by Robin Wright of House of Cards fame. Jared. Uh, I think she's from Forrest Gump fame or. What else was she in? The Princess Bride. She was. Inconceivable to think that she's... My name house. is Montoya. Fa, 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 fa. I can never do that. Prepare for that. Prepare to die. Yeah. Um, Jared Leto? Leto? Leto. I can't believe what you say anyway, because it's going to be mispronounced on purpose. It's Jared, you just said Leto, It's didn't Jared you? Leto. <laughs> Jared Leto plays Neander Wallace, the, the kind of upgrade to Tyrell, the megalomaniac corporation owner. His second hand, known as Love, spelt in the chat Ooh. text way, L-U-V. Yeah, worst decision of the film, I think. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a piece of furniture from Ikea. Played by um, Sylvia Hooks. I think that's how you say her name. Hooks. Hooks. Then you've got um, Mackenzie Davis, plays Mariette, another replicant. Like a puppet. A Mariette yeah. puppet. Yeah, she's a, a pleasure model. I yes. Uh, even more people. God, it doesn't finish there. Carla I can't read my own handwriting what are you trying to say man Carla Jury there we go plays Anna Staline Lenny James plays Mr. Cotton Lenny James is from Line of Duty Line of Duty which was on TV before and The Walking Dead is he? yeah I hate that series I still like it even though I'm really going off it really quite quickly Dave Batista as Sapper Morton another replicant and Hayam Abbas plays Freya Yes. Who's that? Who, oh, I who that is. Well, can't I? say who it is yet. Okay. Because that is part of the spoiler. Right, okay, so huge cast. Um, do you want me to do the summary? And, oh, not part of the cast, but Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Wallfish did the score. the score. And we'll talk about the score. But yeah, if you want to do a synopsis, let's see if I can challenge you to say a synopsis without saying, um. The whole thing? The whole thing without saying, um, once. All right. Because I'm terrible for it. Um, 30 years after the events of the first film, a new Blade Runner, LAPD Officer K, Ryan Gosling, unearths a long buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. K's discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford, a former LAPD Blade Runner who has been missing for 30 years. Um, I did one arm at the start, one arm at the end. Did you? It's just like bookends really, isn't it? Bookends, yeah. (laughs) A book, um, that kind of works. Yeah, that's pretty much the the idea of it. Ryan Coslin, Ryan Coslin, oh my god, Ryan Coslin is the new Deckard, the, the new, new protagonist, the, the Blade Runner, with a cool coat, 
with an incredibly cool coat I'm going to buy <laughs> a type of coat like that and look amazing you and shave my hair short like Ryan Gosling and pretty much be Ryan Gosling I see except my eyes are too far apart to be Ryan Gosling yeah you've got more the eyes of a hammerhead shark whereas he's got the eyes of <laughs> I was going to say my eyes are more normal and his are too close together <laughs> but now you're just making me feel bad again no 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 if it's not my nose and my chin it's my hammerhead of shark eyes if no one actually knows what you look like they're, they're physical I'm wearing glasses in the logo nobody, nobody can tell nobody has any idea I would fucking love to see, to see I should have like some of those gigantic sunglasses that people wear at like stupid parties I just, or for... I just want people to send in their drawings of what you might look like <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Rorschach based, based on this podcast we just get fucking hilarious results oh, anyway so we'll, we'll cut that we'll cut that bit out because I've lost it <laughs> god you haven't yeah. Um, yeah so I, I, I guess you've, you've done the, the synopsis without being spoilerific we've I don't know why I have to call it spoilerific without letting any spoilers um we, we can't really go into too much details, but let, I don't know, let's talk about the cast first and what you thought of the performances. Start with Mr. Gosling himself. Uh, right, so Ryan Gosling, I think he nails it in, in, in all the uh, aspects that he needs to to present this character. He does it perfectly. Um, he's got, uh, I mean, he's sometimes guilty in films like Drive. He doesn't really have a broad range of emotion or, or he doesn't get to flex his acting muscles that much. He's very much a sort of one word answer. Uh, character. Yeah, that's infuriating in Drive, isn't it? Oh, it's it's like not only that, but it takes him 15 seconds to reply to any question ever. So. Yeah, um, and the, the pacing of this film, I think it's a, it's a very slow paced film. Um, but I think it allows all of the actors to fully represent what they're trying to, to show. It, it, it makes so Ryan Gosling has got all of this time, all this screen time to really uh, hammer home this character that he's created. Mm. Um, and as do all of them I, mean, I think maybe a few of them don't really probably don't have enough time to do it but as the protagonist Ryan Gosling has like, you know, 2 hours 43 minutes this film it's a long old it film it was a long film and it did feel a bit long as well yeah, we'll talk about pacing later on but. Um, and I think he was very good um, it's funny that you say about his like he, when you compare him to his, his roles in Drive mm. Driver? Drive? Drive Drive and Drive. Um, only God can judge me I think that's what he's his other films can't call but oh yeah I've yeah. not seen that one but it's quite I, heard, good. I heard it was terrible oh is it good yeah it's alright um, I actually didn't think I mean there were moments where he, he could kind of flex his acting muscles but I think he was quite a cool customer in this movie yeah so to the point where he, he was very I don't want to say monosyllabic or anything like that but he, he didn't have to do too much he had to just be cold and calculated as a you know basically an assassin yeah, as a yeah. runner Um he had his moments where he could flex out, but I, I, I was actually going to say the opposite. Where he, you think he it's, was it's, it's not subdued he, his performance? Yeah, but that that was that was his character though. So it was almost like I don't think he won any Oscars for this role or even oh, get no, nominated no, no. because he, the character didn't quite need that. It was almost like it was a, a vessel for us to sort of to, take us us. to enjoy the story yeah, and to pull us through it. Whereas yeah. when you compare it to Harrison Ford in the first one, he's you know again lacking empathy and a cool customer but he's got personality by the shed load yeah yeah just in his right armpit he's got more. <laughs> um, his fucking lymph node in that's his actually, armpit no I agree with you there actually you've you've, you've mm. proved me wrong uh, so um, Jared Leto or Jared Leto as he's known in uh, uh, in nowhere else apart from your head <laughs> uh, playing Neander Naya 
Nein, der... Wallace. Wallace. Or Wallace. <laughs> um, for some reason, he's, he's, he's blind. They never... They don't say it, but... I mean, they don't say you know, why he's blind. They don't say how it happened. They don't... I don't really understand quite what it adds to the character, really. A weakness? Yeah, but... Why? It doesn't... It doesn't sort of come across as he is weak in any way. It, I, I love the idea of his character because the idea is that he... When the world was going to shit and the economy's collapsed and then there was going to be a huge famine, he swooped in and saves the world mm. by coming up with... Um, uh, bioengineered crops yeah and that's where it starts and then he also buys out the Tyrell Corporation to work with replicants there's actually a really cool thing about this film is they made three short stories at the start before the film brilliant that I mean, are worthwhile watching and they're all three completely different there's one um, I think I wrote down the names of them actually one called Nexus Dawn standing starring Jared Leto who? Jared Leto yeah that's it Jared Leto yeah um as the end of all this, and he's basically strong arm in the government because replicants have been banned as a prohibition on replicants, and now he wants to bring it back because he owns Tyrell Corporation, and so he's he's made replicants so that they have a, a non-ending lifespan or you know a regular lifespan, but they are completely slaves. Like they'll do anything you tell them. If you tell a, a replicant to kill itself, it will kill itself. Yeah. So he's very cold. It's almost godlike to the sense that he lacks complete empathy. Um, there's a scene with one of the replicants later on when he's testing a new model, which is quite hard to watch in a way. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And just shows that, again, he, he doesn't, even though he, he sort of covets the replicants, he still sees himself as above them as well as humans and almost like this godlike figure that's going to save the entire world. But he's hardly got any screen time. He's no. not in this film that much, I don't think. And the the blind thing just didn't didn't add anything. Apparently, Jared Leto, because Jared Leto, sorry, it's Leto, it's Leto, is it? Yeah, oh, I've been saying it wrong all the time. <laughs> um, Jared Leto actually put in like proper contact lenses oh, right. that made him blind. Jesus, for this, like not not made him blind forever. Oh, okay. just you know covered up his pupils so he could see. So that when he was acting, he was well. It's easier because as we found out when I was researching this, is that Jared Leto signed himself up to a 12 week acting course when he first moved to LA hardly went to it and has never had another acting class since yet he's an Octo Oscar winner yeah he's an Octo winner he's an Octo winner that's me just doing same things in a weird way <laughs> definitely didn't just muck it up um, but yeah he it, I don't know it was a weird role he was he was maniacal in the sense yeah but not but not evil. terrifying just he wasn't terrifying he has an ego bigger than the world and wants to spread out throughout the galaxy yeah that's his that's what his motive is um, and it is an okay motive yeah uh, so who else is in this film um, we've also got Harrison Ford returns as Deckard which everybody knows that's not a spoiler it's in the trailers <laughs> I'm not going to spoil that yeah uh, and when uh, he comes on screen I got a warm fuzzy feeling of nostalgia did you? yeah was it good seeing him as that again? I, just, I don't know what it is but I just absolutely adore Harrison Ford mm. he's got a cool fucking name he flies planes he's just a cool character he never smiles he, <laughs> no. has, a, he has a gay earring that he carries on <laughs> he's just a cool guy um, super cool guy and I love how like he doesn't give a fucking interviews as well oh you wouldn't like it's, it's like did you enjoy making the film? yeah <laughs> uh, so um, more about the film as a whole um, it's what did you think of it? did you like it? 
I mean, we both came out of the cinema yesterday and we weren't too sure. But I've had a day and a night to think about it and I like it quite a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a weird one because I feel the same. Yesterday when I left the cinema, I was like, I wanted to love this film. Like, absolutely fall in love with it and leave the cinema and be like, you've got to go see this film, man. It's so fucking good. But I, I left and I thought, this is not going to be a film for everybody. Because oh, absolutely not. the pacing is quite slow. I remember sitting there sometimes thinking, come on, fucking go. The yeah. scene didn't need to be this long. Yeah, yeah. And, and, absolutely right. And there wasn't much joy in it or more elation a lot of elation there wasn't any satisfying sort of emotional finale where the good guys win it was it was very sad all the way through especially with all the themes the way that the replicants are treated and all the rest of it that I can't really go into right now but so you leave the film without having felt anything particularly joyous yeah so when you leave the movie you've you've been feeling down for like two hours and 43 minutes. 43 minutes. So you're never going to feel like you love the film, but it, it that's the purpose of it. And when I had time to think about it and read around, read around it, I thought, this is such a perfect sequel to the first film because the first film was the same. It had that very slow pacing. Mm. It had these really intellectual themes and treated the audience as if they were you know, smart enough to understand it. And the themes were dark and... It, it, it was it was the same and I was like it's, this was actually the perfect way to do a sequel to this film and I think that Dele I can't say his name I can't even say his first name now. Denis Villeneuve Denis Villeneuve being such a super nerd of Blade Runner has basically it's like a love letter to the first film that he's made here and it's not a shit one and it's not a shit one I, I think that the people who will be most satisfied with this film are the fans and they're the hardest people to please I think this is yeah yeah. it's the best sequel I've seen in a long long time and it's as we've said last week it's so hard to do a good sequel mm. I think that the soundtrack for instance soundtrack by Hans Hans is Zimmer. fucking perfect I couldn't believe it when I was yeah. watching it I couldn't the sounds were fantastic there's it would range from these dark industrial um, weird noises that were quite guttural and low uh, it's like terms. really huge deep rumbling fanfares absolutely and, yeah and then it would go from that and then it would it would it would work its way up to, to you know nice cool angelic sounds and it, well that's the thing it, it borrows so much from Vangelis's original soundtrack again even the soundtrack is a love letter to the first one it's so good to listen to it on the tube on the way to yours yeah and it's yeah I mean it, it, it's it's quite scary how how Good a job Hansen was done on this actually because it's it's in its own right it's a fantastic piece uh, by itself mm. and whilst considering the first um, and this goes for the movie itself as well as just the soundtrack it's as a standalone it works brilliantly and as a as a carry on sequel it's I mean it's mind blowing that they've managed to do it I can't believe they've done it actually well considering like this this film is has had a huge amount of marketing behind it its potential to make Hollywood so much money is ridiculous the fact that they were able to get away with it and make a film like this in this day and age produced in Hollywood unbelievable and it not have been Hollywoodized the crap out of it we've said so many times by all these shit storylines these shit films get done and it's all for money 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 yeah and I have been very cynical and always said they'll never do a good film no um, with the potential that they, that they 
And then we start seeing the reviews, don't we? And we're like, oh my god, it could be good. I just couldn't believe it. Um, uh, and the, the my favourite thing and my least favourite thing about this film is the, is the pacing. Yeah. Because it's so slow, but at the same time, I've been asking for it. I've been yeah. asking for films that don't um, constantly change scenes and yeah. uh, and and take the time. Yeah, take the time and, and treat you treat you uh, as, as an adult. The scene that stood out for me when I was really thinking of like pacing was when he goes to um, is it the orphanage or out in the yeah. outlands yeah and he's um, he's looking for something I can't say much more than that but for him to find it and where he finds it and when you know that he's going to find it yeah exactly and it took it takes ages. forever it's like I know exactly what he's going to find in there yeah absolutely right I felt the same way I was thinking um, does it need to be this long and I was met with a bit of impatience as I was doing it I was thinking people aren't going to like this this is taking too long we know what's going to happen and we knew what was going to happen as soon as he w- stepped into uh, the, the building um, and it's a weird feeling because because it takes so long you notice do you do you notice more things because it takes so long because it takes I'd say two minutes you know what's going to happen mm. and it's, you have two minutes to spend with this character is he and he knows what's going to happen as well because he's gone through that already in his mind. Mm. It's a memory that he remembers. Mm. And does it add anything, having it that long? I think in that particular scene, no. I think there are parts of this film, and this would be the only criticism I have where it could be shortened, and this film could have potentially, because of how many times it happened, been about two and a half hours instead of yeah, two hours yeah. and easily. 43. Easily. Could have chopped 13 minutes off easily. Um, it wouldn't have changed the movie much, but... I like in a way the first time ever I can say even because of that that they still wanted to do it that way, that way and yeah yeah it's it's, my... it's, it's kind of respect I, it's hard because I definitely wouldn't say this about a lot of other films so I think am I just completely biased by nostalgia and the love for the first one I think you're right and I think I am I think I, I really am. think I am and other people will listen to this yeah. podcast now and go watch the film and go let's do a fucking idiot and don't have a clue what they're talking about because that was a part of shite in fact I did a Twitter poll yesterday on our Twitter account at Movinosh if you listen <laughs> um and the results that came in in fact let me check it again um, and see what people are saying so far I would yeah but it was a mixed bag from what I remember seeing um, I basically said you know we've just seen the, the Blade Runner film what do you guys think incredible pretty damn good I was expecting more or disappointing and at the minute it's sitting at only four votes um, one person said incredible one person said pretty damn good two people said disappointing so that's kind of quite an even spread and I think as I said it's, it's not a film for everybody but the people who will love it will absolutely love it. And the uh, people yeah. who won't like it won't get it and it's not the type of film for them. Well, there's plenty to love about this. Even I mean, put the, the long the long running time aside. Visually, this film is unbelievable. It's fucking beautiful, isn't it? I don't think I've had such a feast for my Augen. For my yeah, eyes. Augen. Augen is his eyes in German. Right. Uh, uh, in such a long time. Um, it's just... And it was the world is brilliant. The world is exactly the same, isn't it? It's and like it carries you, on. I couldn't believe it did it. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't. No. Um, it didn't look like they CGI'd everything. The, no. the world that's created is fantastic and uh, scary, and uh, you can see that it's not a nice place to be. 
Um, they, they've kind of upgraded the tech in certain areas and yeah. then kept other things the same like the cars kind of look very cars similar. Are similar the way that he searches through things and again this is still set 30 years after the original one roughly yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. It's exactly 30, so there will have been some advances in technology yeah but still things like uh, in, so in the first one Deckard uh, is talking to his computer to search for things he's like you know slide right five, five times or whatever that and mm-hmm. it's all voice controlled and in this the same they, mm-hmm. can, they carried on and it's such a beautiful He's got his little drone on the car, isn't yeah. he? He's just like, take pictures of everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want a drone like that. It's such an impressive continuation of the story. I just can't it's believe seamless, it. It's seamless, isn't it? It's perfect. Yeah. Even though, considering 1982 to 2017, so far apart, mm. they've managed to do that is pretty impressive. You can't say the same of like the Star Wars movies. No. Or like the new iterations of Star Trek. It doesn't work, but somehow they made it work in this. Yeah, just, it's just very, very impressive. Um, it's a visually perfect the cinematography is unbelievable uh, and it works so the, the world that they've created this scary dystopian um, society this scary wasteland of an LA much like Brixton now uh, <laughs> is um, is perfectly uh, paired with the, with the music that Hans Zimmer brings in um, it's fantastic and and did you notice the ember fade there's a fade in this where they're burning embers and then it all of a sudden becomes yeah. a city that yeah. was awesome. That was great. Uh, that was, I like a nice fade. A very good cutscene. Good fade. Is it cutscene? Cut. Cutting? Yeah. Cooting. Cooting. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I think you found a new pet hate of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, again, it's hard to know how much more we can talk about without being a spoiler. But what I guess we could say is, um, would you recommend people to go watch this at the cinema yes yeah without a doubt I mean and if you've not if you've not got anything to do for three hours then definitely go and, and uh, make sure you have a Wii beforehand yeah two hours uh, and 43 go and watch it especially if you're a fan of the first one because the, so much of this film feels familiar and at the same time is brand new and it's it is really one of my favourite one of my favourite films of the year yeah what was it what was you you, you said then um, the last film you one of the films you rated higher than Dunkirk what was that film oh Baby Driver I didn't rate higher than Dunkirk but I enjoyed it more more okay was, was this better than Baby Driver as a piece of art yeah yes it is um, undeniable but you enjoyed Baby Driver more because of the emotion that you got from it I don't know this this film got me I was pretty stoked I mean the type of emotion like Baby Driver you, you, it puts you in quite a good mood really doesn't it puts you in a good mood it's just a fun fun movie and mm. it's and it's the time that I watched it it was the perfect thing that I needed to, to see at the time yeah this is this is a spectacle this is a spectacle this yeah. is something special I, I this leave, really is something special this film I think I did leave the cinema yesterday and thought that was a work of art yeah there, there's no one who could leave that cinema and go some of the scenes that they filmed I couldn't even understand how they even thought of doing them the the, the, the scene where he makes love to his girl in the special way yeah, and that's Brilliant. all I can say for now. But if you've seen the film, you'll understand. And if yeah, and you'll realise why the character's called Marionette. How they even filmed that and how it works was a uh, name's Mariette. But that, oh, I, is did, it? I did take that. Yeah, her name's Mariette, but it's, it sounds like oh, Marionette no. for a reason. Yeah, I thought that's why they called her Marionette. Basically, a puppet in a way. But um, yeah, no, it's, it, that was some of those scenes like that scene were just absolutely phenomenal. And I thought this is this just like the first one is a piece of film history. I hope it's so. Yeah. I hope that. I mean, we've only watched it yesterday, so we could be quite excited about. We'll it. We'll have to see how it does at the box office as well, because if it does really well, then 
fingers crossed that means we'll get to see more I don't know if I want one. like this I, no, think I, I don't do mean another Blade Runner I just mean more films that they can finally realise that you don't have to do the same boring format over and over again to, to yeah. have a good film all you need is an important piece of cinema history that you can monetize <laughs> the shit out of and, so, and milk until it's dead. <laughs> I, I do recommend this like film. Like the Fast and Furious film. Uh, I do recommend this film. It's not by any means an action film at all. It's a, it's a film noir, it's science fiction, as it should be. Yeah, said it's, to my it's, a, it's a, a, a chase, it's um, an investigation, a detective one. It's, it's a great, it's a strong narrative. The, the, it's, what I find interesting was that the marketing makes it out to be like an action film, just like the first one did, but then you get into the film you watch, it's like, this, this has quite a bit of action, and to be fair, the fight scenes... Cool. You, you really feel the power yeah, yeah, of all the punches and, and, and it, it, it's kind of crazy and people like Sylvia Hoax and Dick Teaster and the way that they fight is it's brutal at times I remember watching the opening scene and being like fuck wow yeah. <laughs> yes, people get thrown through walls quite a lot um, it's cool it's, it's very impressive but well, okay I'd say before we move on to the spoiler part for the people who are listening now, we've already recommended you go see it, but what would be your popcorn rating for this film? I'd give it a nine. I would also give it a nine. I think it's it's in the dangerous region of being too long. Yeah. But the fact that it's long and slow paced uh, is both my favourite and least favourite thing about it. <laughs> yeah. It's very contradictory. So it definitely wasn't perfect, but there were so many things about it that were fucking incredible. The soundtrack, the casting, the story itself. The only thing that let it down was it just was a little bit too long. So definitely go see it, especially if you're a fan of the originals. It gets a solid 9 out of 10 poppadums from the Mike and Josh movie nush grading system. Mm. Um, so we hope you enjoy it. And if you're listening now, what we'd recommend is skip on and you can listen to the game that we're going to be playing later on, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. So It's a great game. It is a good game, yeah. So look forward to that and we'll see you in a bit. So, that concludes our spoiler-free section. We're going on to full-on spoiler alert now. So if you want to avoid all of these before watching the movie, just skip on to one hour, 19 minutes and 30 seconds, and you can still have a listen to our awesome game. Okay, now those bellens have gone, let's talk about all the spoilery stuff that we've been wanting to talk about all along. Oh my god, Kane was a fucking replicant. Yeah. Did not see that coming, how they kept that a secret. What, the whole time? You didn't well, no, no, right, so before. I, I thought that he could have been a replicant, but right. I never would have thought that they'd revealed that he was a replicant straight away. I thought they would have done maybe something like the first one where they were like keeping you guessing, but no. Straight away they're like, yeah, this guy's a replicant. And I found that a little bit harder to... To like him, right? I think that reveals my own sort of sub-level racism that I've Racist. Got. I know, um, but it, I think it's all in us to to an extent in some way, and and he's treated as such a low-class citizen. In this, I think, it comes across way more in this film how poorly replicants are treated compared to humans because than you're human being in the first one. You're being told the story from uh, the the point of view of of, of the replicant, yeah. Uh, and I liked this this point of view actually because he's not special even though he thinks that he is and he mm. starts to convince himself that he is when he starts to believe that he is the child mm. the um, chosen one yeah exactly Luke Skywalker he uh, you know and he gets told all of this everything that he experiences is is him being told that he's special you know his boss says oh I like you you know you're, you're um you're good at what you do um, go and find this daughter for me and remove all sorry go and find this child for me and remove all um, uh, evidence of it 
Uh, and then Joy, his artificial, artificial girlfriend. girlfriend. Okay, Joy. She's she starts you know uh, hammering home that he's special, that uh, she loves him, and then there's, they've got this special relationship. Um, starts calling him Joe. Um, yeah. Should have called it Bixby or <laughs> or Siri, shouldn't they? A goggle. Yeah. Okay, uh, Joy. Play Red Hot Chili Peppers on Spotify. <laughs> I can't find that in your playlist. Why didn't I, why didn't I suggest that she was called Alexa? That would have made way more sense. That would have been a funnier well, joke. I, I found that weird. That relationship there. It was. So in the first film, they explore like a relationship between what is potentially human, Deckard, and a replicant, and how that love can still happen. And in this one, he is genuinely in love with his AI girlfriend, Joy. And she appears to be, even through programming, in love with him. And, and to the point where she'll sacrifice herself for him to an extent. Well, this is just it. Um, he believes. He's, he, he thinks he's special. He thinks he's the, he's the, the main... And the as child. we all do. Yeah. As we all do. We, all, we are all the, the main characters in our storylines. And we all hope that our life is more than it is, and it's not just a exactly, dreary, exactly monotony right. of life that just gets lost like tears in the rain. Oh my god, <laughs> that makes sense. And so Kay in this has been fed all of this stuff. He's he's been told that he's um, special, even by his um, made-up girlfriend, mm. who uh, once she gets killed, um, he finds out by the, the you know the giant naked joy. Yeah, she says. Oh, she do calls, I remember the giant naked joy? She, she calls him Joe, and so that's when he realizes that he that this relationship that he's had was fake. Was, was fake. It was and again, what is real? There's, yeah. there's still no answer to that. It might have been that that version of joy. But then what's the what's big the... holographic one? It's just it's still part of how she was made and how she created. But to be fair, a human's any different is the question. We're all got our own instincts, our own personal flight of fight or flight responses. It's all we're all programmed in a sense. But rather than it be by ones and zeros, as Joy points out, that she's ones and zeros. We our coding is through four letters A T C and G. In a way, humans are coded as well. So how does that really make us any different to to robots? We're all pre-organized to do or predisposed to to act in certain ways because of our coding. I just thought the film was so clever in in the way that it it dealt with. The issues that were brought up in the first one has um, taken them in and not ignored them and brought them into this film. Um, you spend you don't spend the whole uh, of the film wondering whether um, K is a record or not. Yeah. You start to think, you know, what makes him so different to being a human? So you start asking yourself, is what's what does he do that that makes him not human? And he doesn't really do anything. He, everything that he does is what a human would do yeah. apart from sustain quite a lot of damage and burst through walls that that opening scene where David Batista slams his head into the wall repeatedly I, I, I originally went this is unbelievable now I'm slightly turned off by this no human could sustain that amount of damage to his head and, and survive so if this the rest of the film continues on like this I'm going to be disappointed but then when they found out it was a replicant I was like oh okay because I love that bit where Harrison Ford punches him in the face repeatedly yeah, yeah. and then they're just like we'll just get a drink <laughs> yeah and even millions that, of bottles of whiskey here even that scene you know harks back to um, uh, the original with the introduction to the old music um, the first one there's that there's that track 
that is an old classic song that I don't know the title to. No. But um, and it's in this Sinatra, one, isn't it? Well, yeah. in this one, it's this is Frank Sinatra, and you get a bit of Elvis in there as well. Um, and it's it's all in downtimes of, of the of the story where there a bit of storyline is happening rather than action. Mm. Um, and so there were so many. This is why I said earlier about it feeling so familiar, but at the same time bringing in completely new ideas. Um, and flipping things on their head, you still don't know whether Deckard is a replicant or not. I like what they did with that because Ridley Scott actually came out. He said that he was saying that <laughs> Ridley Scott's come out. Yeah, I am gay. replicant yeah. gay. <laughs> came out and said that yeah, Deckard was a was a replicant, and Harrison Ford's like I don't really give a fuck because Harrison Ford's Harrison Ford. So, um, so cool. Whereas uh, Denis Villeneuve, I said it right then, didn't I? Yeah, like the first time. <laughs> Dennis Villeneuve yeah. um, completely went back on it and I went actually I'm going to keep you guessing yeah, and I like that they did that and Harrison Ford's like I know the truth and it's like oh you bastard but again it keeps the thing that I loved about that that part of the it's movie ambiguity. That, the ambiguity the fact that you know he's still open to discuss it for me like the fact that he was able to father a child with Rachel so weird yeah it's what? like so well okay does that mean replicants are able to have the same sort of uh, organic setup that humans do because the bioengineered is basically just like taking human DNA and then changing the coding to make them more strong or more compliant yeah. um, in which case why wouldn't they be able to or does it mean that he is a replicant and that's how replicants make babies maybe he has a pneumatic penis pneumatic mode <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that but um, yeah again we're just sat here chatting shit we don't know if it's true or not but it's just really fun Great to discuss this kind of stuff creates a discussion it? doesn't it yeah um, I mean you could talk about this film for flipping ages yeah I, I, I I'm trying to even think what else I want to discuss about it because I feel like I've just blurted out all of my main bits in <laughs> a space of three seconds and going like oh shit now now what um, the some interesting bits about it apparently David Bowie was originally going to be cast as David Bowie um, I'm glad he wasn't because I thought you were going to say I'm glad he died then uh, <laughs> no. that's the reason he wasn't or that's you know he, he, he died before he could do the role and I, I think you're right I think Jared Leto is definitely a better choice because he, he was able to be far colder yeah I, I can think... imagine David Bowie being not, not that I know for sure but well you don't know just Maybe in the roles that he's done before I think I think it just would have been a bit of a camp uh, bad guy David Bowie uh, Jared Leto he's not very menacing no but I don't, like I said I don't think he's supposed to be evil I think he is supposed to be like completely lacking of empathy I feel like he because it's a bit like in um, The Watchmen how Dr. Manhattan when he becomes this almost super being with unimaginable power yeah um, completely lacks empathy because now you just see everything from a completely logical point of view yeah yeah I feel like that sometimes. It was weird to me how Neander Wallace kind of like completely treated the replicants like, like disposable, just completely disposable. disposable yeah, because he's, they are things that he's created. That was very hard to watch when he sliced sliced her. It was a womb as well, and she bled to death. Ooh. I don't even know who the actress was, but her whole role in the film was just being naked, cold, and completely like she at the, me the whim of a man. A man, but she reminded me very much of. Um, Minority Report, you know the, the bald cognitive. Oh yeah. She looked like her. I think it's just the fact she was wet and bald. Mm. She bald? No, she had hair. No, she definitely had hair. It was just short hair. Uh, she was super goopy. Gloopy. Yeah. Um, 
So what I liked you... the little robots that Neander Wallace has floating around with him. The one that looks like pebbles, and they make yeah. those little sounds like it's someone farting in a bath. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think I just nailed that impression. It was a very good. <laughs> Oh dear! Like a Transformers fart. It's just. So, what was your what was your favourite part of the film? Ooh, that's very hard to say. Um, I'd, I'd say it's an overall thing. Just again, the world that they created and how lovingly it was created. How the the story itself is embellished even more, and more history is added in, and more detail and more detail because it just brings it to life. Real, and completely immerses you in it. Um, and it took further the ideas of how the replicants are treated and the ideas of slavery and what it is to be human but it, I like how it almost flipped it on its head more because in the original it's about a human chasing replicants and in this film it's yeah. about a replicant well done. chasing gonna... a human Yeah, yeah. Um, and in a way you're rooting for the replicants you're rooting for the, well, for the downtrodden it's because the narrative is being driven through it's because I'm a lefty bastard that's why right. <laughs> for the many not the few <laughs> it, it's, it's because you're being told this story from a, a, a replicant who believes himself to be special but he slowly finds that he's not mm. um, and in the worst case of sibling rivalry ever he thinks it's his sister doesn't he but it's not actually his sister no because he's, she he's, has implanted her memories in, in loads of replicants yeah I guess in the hope that she, she gets found is the purpose of that but why would she want to be found because she's been locked in a box the entire life hmm or could she have escaped I don't know no the, what was she in that box for she they was... said it's because she had an immune disorder so she couldn't leave they were going to go her and her parents were going to go off world at the start but then she got sick so she ended up staying there and now she becomes Leander Wallace's like first primary person who creates memories for yeah for replicants yeah. and she says when he goes to her to find out um, whether the memory is his or not she says the memory is a real one she doesn't actually say yes, that it's hers this is your memory. I love how they revealed that because she starts again she starts a lot of crying cry. in this film yeah. she starts crying that drop of a hat like that yeah. and at first I thought that she it was just a sad memory and she's really yeah. an emotional and sympathetic person I but thought it turns out it's her own memory it's her own memory yeah I thought when I saw that that she's jealous it was a jealous tear because she sees that he has got these memories and she can see that he because she's a replicant right yeah she is Yeah, but she's you know a replicant before? born of replicants but do you know that beforehand when she's doing her weird no 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 you just think she's a person who's been locked up because of an immune disorder so I saw when I first saw her I saw it as uh, jealousy yeah yeah that the memory was um, something that she craved yeah I could see that I think when you think about it more now I feel like she feels guilty having put these yes, memories I mean, into now, them yeah, because she sees back. how much it's torturing Kay yeah yeah to feel like oh my god actually I did have a childhood and my whole life's yeah. been a lie up to this point yeah. Fuck, and then it gets taken from him again when uh, that woman says oh you thought you were the child I loved that twist because I was getting frustrated with the storyline at that yeah. point I was like I didn't this has like been it. so obvious I didn't that, like he that he is, was a child he is Harrison Ford and Rachel's that Harrison doesn't make Ford, sense I've just referred to the actors <laughs> he was Deckard and Rachel's son all along I was like this is just too obvious the storyline's not yeah not Good enough. Uh, not unique enough. Yeah. But no, no, it turns out that he, he wasn't special and I like that they did that. Yeah. And yeah, they, they, there's a lot of surprises in this film, I thought. A lot of good ones. 
Um, and, and I was really impressed with the story in the end. Even yeah. though it doesn't make you feel happy, it does make you feel shy and sad. But again, we're talking about themes of, of, of slavery and oppression and minorities and Morality. on top of that, deep things such as mortality and what it is to be free. But as I mentioned before, in the first film, the sense of freedom to the replicants is being able to live longer. But now all the replicants can live longer. What their idea of freedom is, is being able to reproduce because that means yeah. that they're able to go off and do their own thing without being slaves to humans who are the only ones who can replicate them. Because obviously if you can't, be, if you can't replicate a replicant, then they'll just die out. And, and the lack in of the end, it does make well. you feel like they're all going to rise up and completely destroy the human race and they'll take over and be this the next evolution in what we are. And I like that idea as well, that interesting concept of our next evolution might not be... A purely genetic one it might be proof can you imagine a um what would be the word a synthetic one mm. that could happen i hope so i because hope they can yeah. create synthetic hair that would really sort me out <laughs> they can do yeah. alexa add ginger hair plugs to shopping list i've added ginger hair clips to your shopping list <laughs> It turns out we're actually fucking years away from artificial intelligence. Can you change the name of Alexa to Joy? No, computer no. or Amazon. Okay, computer. Yeah, I like that. Um, I, I I just really liked everything about this film. Uh, in hindsight, it was a bit of a slow burner because it's so long. I think I was getting a bit uncomfortable in the cinema, and I was thinking, you know, I wanted there to be a. I don't know what I wanted there to be actually as a as a climax. I don't know whether. I liked the the last fight scene with the water and the waves, but I didn't feel like it was when it finished. I didn't feel like that was the climax that I wanted. I don't know no. what I wanted though, because the kind of film that it is, it isn't. You know, the, the climax to the original Blade Runner isn't like a fantastic fight scene. Yeah, it's two blokes just sitting down and, and one of them having this realization. Um, and this one is different in that it's it's not uh, there's no conversations. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. Mm -hmm. uh, this one's different, uh, but um, it just—I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's the way I wanted it to end. Well, I, what I like is it draws a lot of parallels to the first film. So you've got Kay running around as as a Blade Runner and shooting up at you know replicants and stuff, and he has that parallel with Harrison Ford's character Deckard. But then he's also got parallels with um, Roy Batty because he's a replicant and. The way that he dies in the end is very similar to to how Roy Batty dies, he where he just, he, even though he's not dying of old age, he's dying slowly because he's had a knife shoved in him six different ways and turned fifty different <laughs> angles. I think he spends most of the film bloodied up and battered. I don't even know. I mean, obviously it's because he's a replicant, but even then, how the fuck did he survive that long? And even though, like in the original, when Roy Batty dies, it's raining and he says um, all these moments lost like tears in the rain when. K dies and this one is snowing does he die? I thought he just lies down no he does well I think that's just <laughs> implied implied death he's really tired because he's lost a lot of what could be conceived as blood perceived not conceived <laughs> <laughs> I mean you can, well replicant conception is, is the theme of the movie but um, yeah and, and they even play uh, some of the music intertwined yeah, that's true from Cheers. when Roy Batty dies in the Cheers, original man. And intertwine that with when he's dying, and that's what makes me think, yeah, hundred percent, he's definitely dead. Is because he died as well. Oh, okay. You know all those parallels, and but I, I appreciate the parallels in this. It wasn't a rip off like what Star Wars has done. No, they were just again love letters to the original. Actually, watching this has made me 
hate Star Wars. Not hate Star Wars. No, of course Be not. Be very disappointed. But it has made me see now uh, what is achievable in yeah. terms of a, a, a respectful sequel that plays on on themes and and ideas that have been brought up previously decades yeah. ago and how they can be done with today's um what would the, the amount of stuff that we can do today in films and by we i mean they um no, you mean we <laughs> uh and how it can be done in terms of just everything from down to the world that they created the music how it, it's it synergized with with the story that was being uh presented it has made me think that the new uh, Star Wars film The Force Awakens that's, that's what it's called yeah it has made me see that that is a bit more of a disappointment it's, it's lazy I think with with the amount of potential and abilities that we have now like you're saying there's no excuse for lazy story writing yeah, yeah. After this was that. not that in the slightest this was the opposite of it but still respectful for, to the incredible source material that it came from material I can say it, material that it came from um, and I think part of that will have become from that one of the writers on the new film was one of the original writers from the first one. Oh yeah uh, what's his name shit Hampton Franchin Franch- yeah that's it yeah because yeah. um, uh, he originally wrote it and then I think somebody else came on to write it and then uh, Frencher came back to finish it off I think. I think he was basically like wrote it as a novella almost so for them to base from, a script on yeah, and then was like fuck off leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> I've done my bit you do something now yeah um yeah, it, it was fantastically done. And you know what? As, as well as this being a visually stunning film and that the soundtrack being amazing, the sound itself was mm. incredible. And I don't think it was just because we we, we, we saw it in Super, it Screen. Super Screen, which is similar to IMAX, like huge screen, but the sound in there was Dolby Atmos. I don't think I've been in a Dolby Atmos cinema before, but holy fuck is the only words that I can describe. From the get-go, straight away, the vibration in my balls was fantastic. <laughs> Um, but there was it was 360 sound that came from the ceiling behind the screen from the sides even behind us if you looked up and behind us the amount of speakers there were incredible I'm excited I'm going to go see this tomorrow at the IMAX and you the want to sound, see if there's a difference as well and I, I can't remember the last time I, I think I saw Interstellar was the last time I went to uh, yeah. IMAX and I went to the Science Museum IMAX not the BFI IMAX which is the one I'm going to this oh. uh, so I'm excited to see if if it enhances my experience in any way. Or in, it enhances. Because oh, of That's wonderful. There was something I was going to say about Hans Zimmer then. Why has it gone? Oh, yeah. Hans Zimmer did the soundtrack to Dunkirk, didn't he? Yes. And I can see it's very similar sounds. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of... I don't think I saw the that effect the shepherd effect this one <laughs> as much. but I don't think I was looking out for it as much with the shepherd tone no I don't think it has that kind of sense of urgency to this oh film either God. so it probably wouldn't belong if this yeah yeah if this film had some shepherd tone it might have felt a bit shorter or maybe it would feel just as long oh but God, like it was never God. ending two and, and a half like, hours when's something going to happen yeah two and a <laughs> half hours of build up um, I was disappointed I think when this film ended I was in a weird place because I was uncomfortable in the cinema mm. after two and a half hours of sitting there. Yeah, I was getting a bit hot, mm. but I was still a bit. I wanted to see more of, of, of the story. It's just I don't want to face real life. I want escapism to last forever. That's that's the the problem, isn't it? It's like when you watch the the last episode of Star Wars, mm. you're like fuck. Or it's like when you finish a, a season of Game of Thrones and you have to wait ages for the next one. You're like Rick and Morty. I've been waiting so long for this, and now it's yeah. over. What do I do with myself? I, I just 
Yeah, I, I was disappointed that it finished, not at the end. Yeah. The... Um, okay, so you you said earlier that you give it a nine out of ten. What was your least favorite thing about this film? <laughs> least favorite? What was what didn't you like about the film? Um, I think sometimes Kay was a little bit too neutral. Uh, robotic, like yeah, like, like I said, he, compared to Deckard, he didn't have anywhere near the amount of personality, and that was one of the things I actually love about all those films from the eighties, like the Spielberg and George Lucas classics, is that the actors and the characters always did have bags of of personality, and that's something you kind of lack these yeah. days in in more recent films. That was the only thing I wanted to like him more, but maybe that that doesn't serve his purpose. But I did feel empathy for him. You do. Huge moments um, because I'm human. Humans feel empathy. Or do they? And in Who the knows? scenes, in the scenes where uh, Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling are together, Harrison does just steal them. And, yeah. I mean, you know that I'm a, a big fan, but um, even in that, uh, the scene where he confronts um, Rick Deckard when he finds him in Vegas, mm. broken and. Broke. I love how they what they did with Vegas as well. That sort of toxic wasteland. Yeah, it's cool. But. Um, yeah, there's that bit where um, Ryan Gosling K asks whether the dog is real and you can see Harks back to the first uh, Blade Runner when yeah. he asks Rachel whether the owl is real Yeah. and instead of giving him a decent answer he just says why don't you ask him <laughs> and it kind of you know puts it into your head that that's exactly what a uh, disgruntled Rick Deckard would say Yeah. slash house and forth grumpy bastard uh, same thing really but also it doesn't really fucking matter whether it's real or not no because again the main theme because like, what makes humans what real? makes things real yeah. are we all just some kind of virtual projection on the fourth dimension according to um, Elon Musk Elon Musk when he came up with that I'm like what the fuck are you talking about massive. I just can't I just it. remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving Revolving at 900 miles an hour. <laughs> Bit of old Monty Python. Ah, oh, you recognised it. Of course I do, I love that soundtrack. I was going to pass it off as well. Uh, one of my favourite Monty Python songs is Eric the Half of B. <sighs> La dee dee, one, two, three. Eric, Eric the Half of B. We digress. Because there was one scene I wanted to talk about and point out how amazing I thought it was. The scene with Joy and Mariette, the sex scene. Very it was done. It, to me, it felt a little bit jarring because he'd just been given forty-eight hours to go run, but yeah. he still finds time for a shag. About two and a half minutes. You know, it's not going to kill him. But the the visual effects that they did with Joy and the way that she moves in and out of of solid objects, even people, like personal space, doesn't matter because of intimacy, and how she bases on top of Mariette so that he can have sex with someone who feels real. Yeah, and how they're out of sync watching that was just magic for me watching trying to wrap my head around how that works and how it would work and how they shot it and then under melding those two performances together blew my mind that was one of the, the coolest things I've seen in a movie in a long I've time. never seen never seen anything like it and no. it was a bit I was watching it thinking this is this is very drawn out is what I thought at the time mm. I thought it was it was longer than it needed to be but thinking back it just seemed to be a theme of the movie it's mm. a very slowly paced film it didn't want you to didn't rush you didn't rush anything and it was saying look at this appreciate it for what it is it's going to take a long time a disappointing three way <laughs> Mackenzie Davis I think is a well, it's a three way it's not a three way that's my point it's not a three way no it's yeah. a two and a half way 
Yeah, but you are a big fan of Mackenzie. I do like as it. Am I. It'd be interesting to see what the listeners think, actually. If, if you've seen the film and you, you're a big fan of the first ones, let us know. Drop us an email. Type something on Facebook. I don't give a shit. Whatever you do, I want to discuss this stuff because it's yeah. what I like doing. It's the whole reason we do this podcast. So if you like it as well, leave some comments because let's, let's, let's discuss. Let's discuss. It's a, it's a fun... Uh, yeah, let's, let's nerd out. I know. It's the whole point, isn't it? Let's get our diesel dick going. So... Popping a rating, solid 9 out of 10. 9, yeah. Go see it, especially if you love the original. You are going to love this one. You will not be disappointed. Yeah, it's an f- unbelievable feast for the eyes. I, th- I think it's beautiful. It is. It's, it's a proper mm. work of art, and that's I... not me being sappy. Or... And I can't wait to see it tomorrow at IMAX. Mm. I might actually go watch it a second time. Yeah, I think you should. If you've not, you know. I mean, that'll be. This will be. What's it going to be? Six hours of my life I've spent watching a film. <laughs> So what did you want to call this game? I think you came up with a name before, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to call it Science Fact or Science Not a Fact. (laughs) (laughs) So to follow on the the themes of of Blade Runner and trying to discern what's real and what's not, we've come up with a game where we're going to give some interesting facts about some of the main stars of the films, the the old film and the new film. uh, That is a science not a fact because my brother came up with this game. Well, congratulations to... James. James. Ross. Ross Wakeham. Wakeham. Um, thank fuck you were there because we were trying to come up with a game for ages for this. So cheers for that, mate. Um, we're going to give three three interesting facts, two of which are false, one is true, and the other person has to get guess what they are. Yeah, yeah. it's like uh, call my bluff kind of thing. Yeah, two lies, one truth, but a much better name. Science fact or science not fact. Um, <laughs> as I am a gentleman and a scholar, I would suggest you go first we've both got four actors or actresses each uh, I've got three you got three you got four we, we divvied these out divvied these One, out at the start two three four yeah, yeah got, so three four. facts but four actors yeah yeah, yeah. that's what I meant yeah sorry I've just forgotten how to count you lost the finger alright I'll go first okay okay so uh, I'm, I chose Ryan Gosling to find uh, three facts about and they are all facts actually okay uh, none of them are lies where are they there are two that might be. <laughs> two of them might be science, not a fact. Okay. Okay, uh, so the first one. Um, he was the first person born in 1980 in London, Ontario, being born on the stroke of midnight. Second one. In high school, he was nicknamed Alley Cat due to his eyes being slightly too close together, giving him, <laughs> giving him an inbred appearance. I have an idea that one might not be true already. Oh, number three, he's previously lived with Justin Timberlake's mum. <laughs> I feel like because the first two were so elaborate, it's <laughs> the third mean? one that's true. Is that what you're going for? He lived with Justin Timberlake's mum. He has lived with Justin Timberlake's mum, yes, correct. I have got you down to a T. He, he's lived with Justin Timberlake and Justin Timberlake's mum. Uh, was he in... Um, was he doing uh, the Mickey Mouse Club thing. Was he in the Mickey Mouse Club? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not old enough to really know what that was all about, or American enough, I guess, but... Um, so that's one point to you. Yeah, what was the first... He was the first person born in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> How did you make that up? Just thought... Uh, I was looking... Shit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in London, Ontario, not the first person ever. Yeah, but like, still, well, in I, that I place, you did that. You tried to give so much detail that it sounded believable, which it did. But when the last one didn't have that much detail, I was like, well, "So wait, why are you just 
suing away the alley cat. We'll see what the rest of because you always make the joke about how close together Ryan Gosling's eyes are, and I knew you wanted to work that in there. Uh, so. Okay, uh, I'm, okay, I'm gonna give you my first one now. It's about uh, Dave Bautista or Batista, as people call him. I think it's Batista. <laughs> Please stop. I'm gonna give you um, three facts, okay? First of all, Dave Batista is an accomplished break dancer. No, that's, that's just fucking ridiculous. Second, Dave Batista is an accomplished jockey. No, that's, that's just fucking ridiculous. Third of all, Dave Batista is an accomplished ballerina. One of those is true. Well, I'm going the to... other two are science, not fact. <laughs> not a fact. I think that, well, he's not going to be. Maybe he is a ballerina. No. Some ballerinas. Have you seen how big ballerinas are? Ripped. Uh, yeah. yeah but Complete, I mean... just lean muscle. I'm going to go with, what was the second one? Jockey. No, he's a breakdancer. You would be science correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, apparently he was in a, an advert for one of the, when he was a professional wrestler, I think one of the Smackdown matches and he did some breakdancing in the trailer for it. Amazing. I want to find that on YouTube yeah, because that sounds it. fucking incredible. We'll, um, we'll upload it to our next. We'll post it yeah. and share it on the, the old social media. The internet. Go right. on, give me my second one. All right, the next... Uh, I've always won all as well. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I've got Rutger Hauer. That's my next one. Oh, God love him. Roy Batty. Roy Batty. The only decent film he did was Blade Runner. Blade Runner. And he kind of slightly appeared in he's, The Dark Knight, I think. He's or Batman Begins. Yeah. He's also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Is he? Yeah. Or the movie or the TV show? No, the movie. Is this your fact? No. Okay, sorry. Even better ones than that. Okay. okay. Uh, number one, he's blind in one eye. Okay. Um... Number two, he spent five years in a pantomime company uh, before becoming a serious actor. Uh, and number three, each one of his five children is over five foot, uh, six foot five, uh, and they each had trials with the Dutch basketball team, the Utrecht Kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first one again? First one that he's blind in one eye. Second one uh, is that he spent five years in a pantomime company before becoming a serious actor. The third one is each his one of his five children. Are... Horrifically tall. He's over six foot five. Well, he's tall. He's six foot three himself. Okay. Uh, and has had trials with the Dutch basketball team, the Utrecht Kangaroos. And Kangaroos. Uh, I want to say spelled. he's got ridiculously tall children. Is the is the science fact? Yeah. Is it? No. Oh fuck! Which one is it? Uh, he spent five years in a pantomime. Oh, that, that's believable. Uh, company before becoming a serious actor. Oh. You think that he has five children over six foot five? Maybe he's old. What's that got to do with the height of children? Well, it's more the fact that he's had five kids. Uh -uh. Where did you get that fact from? What? The, the made up one. I made up. You just, you have a weird brain. <laughs> you have a really fucking weird brain. Well, they, I actually had to, I, because he's from Utrecht, so I, I looked up what the basketball team of Utrecht Oh my was. God. And they are, they called the Utrecht. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to believe anything you say <laughs> ever <laughs> again. <laughs> all right. Okay. Okay. Two, one. Yeah. Well, no, no, I, I know. It's, it's one all still. I need to get this one. Yeah. True. True. Sorry. Um, okay, Robin Wright. Mm, like a bit of Lieutenant Joshi. Jedi. Fantastic name. <laughs> <Jedi>. <laughs> okay, Robin Wright owns yeah. two oil wells. No. Robin Wright owns 200 Beanie Babies. No. Robin Wright owns too many hats. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for the Beanie Babies. Um, you would be science wrong because oh, no. Rowan Wright owns two oil wells. What the fuck? What the fuck? I thought she'd be like an activist. Yeah, you kind of get that impression. I don't know why. Um, maybe it's because she plays Democrat. 
Mm, no, she doesn't. In oh yeah, no, no, her and Kevin Spacey, they're Democrats. Shit, look at that nice wrong. Bloody hell. Uh, yeah, it's all drawing still. All competition. Evil, evil woman. What does she need oil wells for? Well, maybe it's like a family thing. She just inherited them. I inherited male pattern baldness, and she gets oil. <laughs> you would be rubbing wrong in that case. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. All right, the next one. Um, Ridley Scott. Yep. Diddly Scott. Diddly Scott. Diddly Scott. <laughs> Surely someone called him that at school. <laughs> in primary school, is like one of those shit bully names. It's like when what people call Andy Handy or something like Andy, that. Andy. Hey, it's Handy Andy. They call him Diddly Squat. I'm going to leave this joke well and truly behind. Almost as shit as being nicknamed Alley Cat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so Ridley Scott. Uh, does he uh, suffer with claustrophobia, which inspired him uh, to create the terrifying film Alien? Uh, two, although being right-handed, he wears his watch on his right hand as it helps when timing scenes whilst looking behind the camera. Or is it three? You lost it. I think I've only got two. Shit! Make one up now. <laughs> uh, so it's one of those two. Oh, uh, okay. That's fine. If you made one up, I think I'd know which one was definitely. Um, I think he is a right watch person to make it easy to look through the camera. Uh, you'd be science, not a fact. Yeah, I, I, more I think about that, I'm like, why would that make a difference? <laughs> he's claustrophobic. He's claustrophobic? Yeah. What a weenie. I can't believe I didn't write three. That's a, I would have loved that. You did forget the microphone before. All right, All right number three. I'll give you another third one. Each one of his five children <laughs> is below four foot eleven and are used to hunt badger. In place <laughs> for the London... Bowls team. <sighs> Uh, that, London my friend, Leprechauns. There you go. that my friend is a nil point. Nil point. So we're still drawing one all. One all. Okay, yeah. well you've got yours now, haven't you? So see how we go. Okay, Mr. Harrison Ford himself. Oh yeah. Ready? Yeah. Uh, when he arrived in England to film A New Hope, one of these actors or actresses, oh no, just actors, um, helped him find an apartment. It was one of his fellow cast members. Was it Peter Cushing? Was it Alec Guinness? Or was it Anthony Daniels? I'm going to go with Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing, the guy who played uh, Willem Tarkin. Yeah. Um, you would be incorrect to be Alec Guinness. Fuck. Which brings up the best joke ever, whereas this is not the flat you're looking for. Oh, that's very <laughs> I good. I told you I came up with this shit joke before. Very um, good. Yeah, Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan Kenobi himself in New Hope, helped Han Solo, Harrison Ford, find the flat when he first moved to London for film Star Wars. I was just repeating myself completely in a different order. Like, you're <laughs> just... <laughs> okay. Cool. I have Daryl Hannah. This is my last one. Lovely Daryl. This is your last one, yeah. Ooh, what's the score again? Uh, it's still one Still one on. We're very bad at this game. God. I hope the listeners are doing better. Uh, lovely listeners. Lovely, lovely listener. Okay, number one. Um, has lost part of her right ring finger and sometimes wears a prosthesis when filming. Okay. Number two, on two separate occasions has been caught short in public appearances and due to her crippling shyness has decided to, quote, just shit herself, end quote, <laughs> rather than ask for directions to the nearest toilet. I, uh, I can't, I mean, I can completely <laughs> see that you would make that up, but at the same time... Or the third one suffers with agoraphobia. Agoraphobia or agoraphobia? Agoraphobia. Is that a fear of open spaces? Uh, yeah, fear of open spaces. That's the opposite of Ridley Scott. 
Yeah, seems too easy. What was the first one again? First one was oh, just lost her half her right ring finger. So either she shits herself in public, she's lost a finger, or she can't really go outside. I would think it's not going to be the outside one. I would go more that she has lost part of her finger. Now this is a bit of a trick one. Okay. Because she has lost part of her finger. Okay. But it's not her right ring finger. All right, so you skirted close to the truth to yeah. tell a lie. Yeah, so I feel like I should give you half a point. I think she's <laughs> lost uh, half of her left index finger or something like that. So I just changed the finger, but she does I actually... I forget which one's the index finger. It's the one you pick your nose with, yeah. I'm picking my nose with all of them. <laughs> well, I use my big toe. <laughs> uh, impressive. But she also suffers with agoraphobia. Okay. So basically it was all of them. Is oh no, apart from the fact she does the shits. You completely made up the shits herself in public one. Open quotes, just shit herself, close quote. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a Wacom fact. On two occasions. <laughs> so I, I scored half a point then. I, I think so. Because, I'm technically winning. Yay. Yeah, because I look, I look back and I feel a bit harsh that I, all I did was change the fucking finger and that's... Uh, that's what's made it a science, not a fact, rather than a science. Okay. So I, 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 of you. you are no Neander Wallace. I'm going to give you half a point. Lovely. Just because you didn't... I mean, I can't believe you didn't think that she would just shit herself. It's just knowing you rather and than, how your mind works. Rather than asking for directions. Yeah. If you have crippling shyness, though. Mm. Well, especially if she's got agoraphobia. It's like running outside to find a toilet because she's scared of the outside. Yeah. So we're on our, our last one, Jared Leto. You gotta get this right to win. That's because I'm not gonna give you half point because fuck you. That's why. <laughs> okay. So when Jared Leto signs autographs, he uses a pseudonym to sign, even if he's you know in his actor mode or if he's in his 30 seconds to Mars yeah. artist mode, he, he signs using a, a pseudonym. What's the pseudonym? You have three options. All oh, right. To choose from. Oh my god! Is this is actually true. Yeah. What a cock. Yeah. <laughs> he either signs his name as Bartholomew Cubbins. Right. Ingelbert Cumberbatch or Benedict Camperblitzen. <laughs> um, I mean, Jared Leto, isn't it? Do you want them all again? Yeah, although I don't think it matters. I've already made my decision. Go for it. Bartholomew Cubbins, Ingelbert Cumberbatch or Benedict Camperblitzen. Uh, I'm going to go for the first one. Bartholomew Cummins. W Cummins. Cummins. You fucking dick, that's correct. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's it's apparently inspired, it's like a, a Dr. Zeus inspired, inspired one. Right. Um, I don't know, it's just a bit of a fucking weirdo when you think about it. I mean, what happens when people get famous and arty? They just, they just lose all grounding in life and just start... I mean, imagine if I just started signing off letters as flutty buck. Man with lots of hair. Sniffball bang. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like a, a character from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Doesn't it? Um, yeah, what a weirdo, but fair enough. Good game. Although I'm sorry I, I shortchanged you with the two uh, Ridley Scott facts. I mean, technically we're all winners when you think about it. We are all winners, especially each one of five children that look at how hard. <laughs> the kangaroos. Yeah. The that was, that was an exceptional things. fact. Yeah. Very well made up. Thank Congratulations. Uh, okay, I think that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed this Blade Runner special. If you want more like this in the future, we're probably going to do a similar one for the latest Star Wars film when that comes out in December. Yeah, we're going to watch all of the previous Star Wars movies and then review them and keep it to a succinct 25 minute long podcast. Is that a science f- not fact? <laughs> that's a science bullshit. That's a science complete and utter bollocks. That's um, what that is. Um, 
we yeah if you're still enjoying us um hope you've spotted our new website yet it's the easy way to find out uh where to listen to all the new episodes and if you want to know when the latest episode's been uploaded because i'm quite inconsistent for when i actually upload them sometimes it's a sunday sometimes it's a monday sometimes it's a fucking december i don't think it matters um if you want to keep on top of when they come out just subscribe subscribe on facebook twitter instagram it's at moving osh with mike and josh or at moving osh is the handle and um, if you're liking what we do so far we're getting loads of good feedback now I think we're getting better just you know leave us some feedback give us a five star review we're not going to pay you for it you can fuck off there but um, we would appreciate it anyway absolutely it validates my existence Um, which is the only reason we do this podcast because mm -hmm. we just want to feel loved yeah and special like K like K Uh, anyway um, I would like to dedicate this podcast to my dad that's alright we all miss you and uh, thanks for instilling me with decent film taste. Taste. To an extent. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, still I, like some pretty shit films. Yeah, like, uh, well, we all do. Transformers. Yeah. I love that film. Guilty pleasure. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.